once again, just wanted to reiterate how thankful I am for Pastor Brian, thankful for the opportunity um, to be in a church where I have, you know, if I have a message that comes on my heart that I can share it. Um, that's not, doesn't happen in every church. Sorry, I'm just putting my timer on so I know how long I'm going. Um, I think, you know, anytime we come with the word, I think we should start with uh, just a little bit of prayer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the ability to freely gather in your house to uh, spend time hearing about your word and just connecting with like-minded individuals. We really do have a church that has a, a servant heart and, uh, and one that is not afraid to speak the truth. And I just ask that you be with me today, that I would be able to deliver truth that you put on my heart and just um, let my words be your words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I've got a couple disclaimers to start with. Um, I am not a polished public speaker. Um, I don't do it very often. Uh, I did grow up in a church where I had the opportunity to, to be in the pulpit a couple times, um, but it's not something I do regularly. I don't know how, how full-time pastors do it every week. They get up here with a new message, and um, uh, I'm just very, uh, you know, I, I don't know how they do that. So just that's the first disclaimer. Second disclaimer, I am not a Bible scholar. I was not classically trained. I don't own, you know, a master's in divinity. Um, I didn't go to any sort of uh, formal training. So um, my, my training for this was, you know, consisted of Google, um, some other study materials that I had. But hopefully if I mispronounce something, I misinterpret something, just give me a little bit of grace. Um, and this disclaimer will be um, a little more evident as we get into the message, but um, I'm not a mental health professional. Uh, I'm not a social worker, I'm not a counselor, therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, anything along those lines. Um, just wanted to talk about a little bit of my own experience when it comes to mental health and hopefully encourage um, anyone who might be struggling or who doesn't understand the struggle to have a little bit of better understanding of what it's like to live a Christian life and also struggle with, with mental health. Um, I am very appreciative a couple weeks ago when Pastor Brian affirmed Living Hope's stance on um, the fact that, you know, the use of medication or, mental, or uh, seeking um, professional mental health or um, professional help is not something to be ashamed of. It's something that is from God. And I'm just very appreciative of that because um, there is one thing that I feel like society as a whole does better than, our, than church, not Living Hope, but church as a whole. And that really does... Um, come around the, uh, the topic of mental health. Um, there's still uh, kind of a stigma when it comes to mental health within the church, and it's one that I just really hope that we can just continue to work to knock down and just make it a little bit more accepted that um, even though we are Christians, that we are, we're going to struggle from time to time. So I wanted to give you a little bit of my background. Um, you know, looking back, I've always dealt with low-level, you know, but manageable anxiety. Um, I exhibited some of the, uh, you know, the traits that are typical of people who deal with anxiety. I'm a chronic procrastinator, um, except for this message, weirdly enough. I didn't procrastinate on this. Um, but pretty much in school and work, in my professional life, um, I take every amount of time that I have to get something done and <laughs> to get through it. And that's a classic sign of someone who deals with anxiety. Um, overeating, you know, look at me. I do, I do like my food. Um, I am an emotional eater, uh, so I do tend to like to, to eat when I, when I have uh, bad feelings and good feelings, so double-edged sword. Bite my nails, dirty habit, I know, but it's one that I've been working to try and uh, break. It's a bad habit, but it's something that is typical of people who struggle with anxiety. Um, 
I've, I've really dealt with heightened anxiety and levels of depression starting about three years ago. Um, I was being recruited to a new job. I had been at my previous job for, I don't know, about a little over 10 years. It was my first real job out of college, and it was really tied into my identity as a person, and I had a really hard time when I was being recruited to a much better job, much better role, pay, opportunity. I, I really did struggle with that, and what that led for, what that did to me is it caused me massive amounts of anxiety uh, to the point where I was sleeping for maybe two hours a night. And, and that went on for months and months and months. And when, when you don't sleep, you're exhausted all the time. You don't have the energy or uh, willpower to kind of shut down uh, your anxiety. And ultimately, I sort of led into a uh, really uh, kind of period of depression. I thought, you know, once I started this new job, um, everything would be great. You know, I'd get a good night's sleep. I started on a Monday. I was like, you know what? Just get me through this first week. I'm going to get to the weekend. It's going to be great. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I'm going to rest. And I'm going to be 100% again. And I woke up that Saturday morning, and I felt like I weighed 10,000 pounds. Um, I just didn't want to get out of bed. Um, I remember we were on a phone call with one of Josie's sisters, and the entire time I'm like, what is wrong with me? And that's the first time I had an anxiety attack. Um, it's different than a panic attack. Panic attack is typically acute. Um, it can go away after you know a certain amount of time. Um, anxiety attack for me, what it feels like is um, best way I've seen it described is like it's a bathtub that's overfilling with water. Like you just try to keep the water down, but eventually it spills over, and you get to a point where you just you can't calm your brain down. You can't get to a point where you are okay. Um, so honestly, the first two or three months of my new job, um, I don't remember a thing. I don't remember the training. I don't remember the onboarding. Um, it was truly sort of survival mode to get through it. Um, if you think about the timing, I started in October of 2019. Uh, we all know what happened shortly after um, in the beginning of 2020. Uh, COVID hit. Um, we, well, we all went into lockdown and quarantine. Um, and for someone who was struggling with already feeling a bit disconnected, all that did was really amplify those feelings, and it was um, not a good place to be. You know, ultimately, started making some strides, though, was feeling pretty good. Um, had a great summer that summer, spent a lot of time with my parents. Um, but ultimately, I still felt like, you know, I was a boxer who had just taken, you know, a couple jabs, and I was just sort of out on my feet, and I was pretty susceptible to be knocked down. Um, and that big, that big punch came in uh, September of 2020 when I lost my dad. Um, I didn't realize at the time how close I was to my dad. Um, he was in his 80s, like, you know, he's older, but it was, it was unexpected, and man, I, I was knocked out. That was, that was the first time I really knew what a broken heart felt like. Um, and for a long time, I just sort of went into survival mode where it was just like, I got to get through the next hour, got to get through the next day, next week, next month. And, you know, we're still going through COVID where, you know, you're, you got to be distanced from everybody physically. And, you know, it really did work out to be emotionally. You are, you're separated from people. And it just, it didn't do a lot of good for me. Um, so about that time, we, we weren't meeting regularly in person at church, so 
we just decided that we needed to find somewhere where we could really meet in person. And I don't begrudge any pastor how they handled uh, COVID. It was, you know, unprecedented in our lifetime. Everyone did the best job that they could, but ultimately we just had to, we needed to find a new home. So on top of all of this, going to these different churches, trying to make this sort of decision where our church home is going to be, while I really am just in survival mode and just trying to, you know, just trying to make, you know, make life work. And it was really, really difficult. Um, we got really lucky. We, we avoided COVID for a long, long time. And last Christmas, we had uh, what I call dueling COVID at my grandma's. Um, they had COVID. We had COVID. Put into one petri dish of COVIDness. Somehow my mom didn't get it, but um, yeah, yeah. To be fair, we didn't know we had it until after. Um, funny story: uh, how we figured out we had COVID. Josie went to Bed Bath and Beyond and came out and said, "I can't smell anything." That is a problem. <laughs> we should probably not be out any longer. Um, but for me, COVID didn't really. It was physical. It took a physical toll on me. But where it really hit me was, was mentally. Um, I really, really struggled when I had COVID from the mental perspective. Uh, there's a movie that I can't watch anymore called The Music Man because as we started watching it, I had my second and most prolific uh, anxiety attack. And I hope I never have one like this again where was uh, literally just out. I had to get out of the house. I could not calm my brain down. Um, I just physically could not make myself feel okay. We went for a walk, and I tried to say, oh, I'm good, we're going to go back in. Turn Music Man on, and it, it all happened again. Ultimately, that day, we spent probably two or three hours just driving around because that was the only time I felt okay is when I was outside um, driving around. Um, weirdly, your brain is weird. Um, I Every time we passed like an emergency department or a hospital or some sort of urgent care, I would start to feel better because I knew there were people there that could help me. But ultimately, um, it just took some time. It took some time. And that's, that's the point when I knew I, I just couldn't do it anymore on my own. Um, I was trying my best, but every time I would take a step forward, I'd take three or four steps back. Um, it was about midweek. I, I was able to make an appointment with my primary care doctor and I knew it was on a Monday, and I, I tell you, that was the longest weekend of my life where, you know, I knew whatever they were going to give me was probably not going to help me immediately, but it was something that um, I had some hope, but I had to get to Monday, and just that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was literally counting the minutes, counting the hours. Um, it, it just gotten so bad that I couldn't make it through a song at church without getting, um, emotional. I couldn't control my thoughts. I couldn't control how I felt. My body felt, like, once again, like it was 10,000 pounds. Um, ultimately, I went to the, my primary care doctor. He put me into collaborative care where I had a uh, caseworker, you know, a counselor. Um, I had a psycho or psychiatrist assigned to my account and all working with my primary care doctor. And I was prescribed medication. Um, I'm on medication. I'm currently in uh, counseling as well. Um, so once again, I'm very happy that we have affirmed that uh, we are okay with that at Living Hope because it really has helped me. It's, I'm not perfect. I have days that are better than others, um, but really it has been the first time I've felt pretty good in, in a long time. 
what I really struggled with when we started coming to Living Hope was if I'm feeling this way, if I have these issues, I feel pretty broken. How is God going to use me? Um, luckily, we came to a church that has a pastor who saw something that I didn't, and we've been able to plug in and we've been able to really um, take on the young adults and, and do things that I never thought would be possible with how I felt. Um, so I really started scouring the Bible, trying to find someone in the Bible who looked and felt like me. And, you know, there's a lot of people that when you read through the Bible that they, they have times of despair or, you know, just read, you know, David. You know, he has times where he talks about, you know, being in, in the depths and, you know, dealing with uh, what I would call, you know, uh, anxiety. But the person that really uh, stood out to me was the prophet Jeremiah. Um, so we're going to go to the Old Testament today. We joke that uh, around here that uh, we don't go to the Old Testament enough. Um, you know, it's not, it's not fun a lot of times to read in the Old Testament. The New Testament has cool things like miracles and redemption and the cornerstone of our faith, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, you know, a lot of people try to write off the Old Testament because it's under the Old Covenant or it's not something that we need to deal with in our, in our life today. But news alert... New Testament isn't needed if the Old Testament had worked. If the Old Covenant had worked and God's people had done what they were supposed to do, um, we wouldn't have needed the New Testament. We wouldn't have needed the, the redemption of, of Jesus Christ. So I want to talk a little bit about Jeremiah. So who is Jeremiah? Um, Jeremiah lived, I don't know, roughly 600 years before Jesus. He lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was a prophet to not only uh, Israel, but also to, quote, other nations. And ultimately, what's really funny is, does anyone know, by word count, the longest book in the Bible? No. If you were going by chapter count, yes. But by word count, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. He has 33,000 words written. He has 52 chapters. Most of them are not encouraging. <laughs> Um, it's really, so the reason why Jeremiah came to be, God spoke with Jeremiah and said, I want you to start collecting your sermons. I want you to collect your writings and put them together. So it reads like an anthology where it's just sort of a collection of collections. It's not uh, super easy to read. It's not chronological and to steal like it and to emulate JFK. It's like, we choose to read Jeremiah and do the other things, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. It's not super uplifting, it's not light, it's not easy to read, not chronological. Ultimately, if we know Jeremiah's fate, it's not one that, you know, fits the Hollywood um, happy ending. So you might be asking me, Jeff, how do you know Jeremiah is depressed? And I will do, give you a disclaimer here, another disclaimer, that we're going to be jumping around a lot in Jeremiah. So if you, if you have your book, or if you have your Bible, either hard copy, digitally, whatever, just jump around with me if you don't mind. So how do we know Jeremiah was depressed? Let's go to Jeremiah 20, 14 through 15. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. I mean... I, mean, I just picked this one out. There's a lot in there where curse the day I was born. Um, I mean, I've been down a lot, but I've never cursed the day I was born or cursed the man who told my dad that he was having a son. I mean, 
you, you read through Jeremiah and you say, man, this guy struggles. So why are we, why are we talking about Jeremiah today? Um, if you struggle with mental health, I wanted to give you an archetype or a role model that you could look at and see that you may feel broken, that you may feel um, like you're not worth anything, but God can still do great things with you. And if you don't struggle with mental health, if you're one of the well-meaning but I would say misinformed Christians who ask someone who struggles with mental health, you know, how's your prayer life? Or, you know, have you been in the Word? Um, You just need to snap out of it. Man, don't you think if I could pray a little harder or read a little more that I would have done that already to help deal with my mental health? And, and I, don't, I don't blame anyone for their feelings on mental health. It's had a stigma for a long, long time. But I just want you to realize that you know, we have varying levels. These, these mental health issues that we struggle with are on a spectrum, right? And I only have mild to moderate anxiety and depression. I can't fathom what it's like to live a life where you have severe anxiety or severe depression or anything that's beyond what I deal with because I feel like what I have is hard enough to deal with. So let's talk about Jeremiah. Um, I would love to be more expository today and give you more in the word and just tell you everything what it means. But once again, 33,000 words, 52 chapters. There's football on later. I want to be able to get you guys out of here. So give you the quick survey of Jeremiah. I really sort of break it up into three different topics. The first is chapter one, the call of Jeremiah. Chapters 52 through, or chapters two through 52, um, save for four chapters in the middle, warnings and messages of judgment against Israel and others. And then there are four chapters that are hopeful in all 52. And those are the messages of hope for Israel. Um, Those are chapters 30 through 33. Let's go go to the beginning of Jeremiah. Let's start in the beginning, chapter 1. These verses that we're going to talk about, a lot of people might have on a big plaque in a a nursery or have it on a shirt. You know, we are, um, as Pastor Brian has affirmed, that we... uh, we are pro-life, um, we love our children, and we love the message that Jeremiah has for, for Christians. So let's, let's read verses 4 through 10. It's entitled, The Call of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. When the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Um... I love the phrase, before I formed you. Um, God knew you, knew everything about you, um, before he ever assembled you in the womb. Um, the, there's a reference in Psalms that says, before I knit you together in my mother's womb. And like, I, I love that wording. Um, show of hands, who knows how to knit? Anybody? Oh, okay. So eons ago, I was a camp counselor, 
and I was assigned a camper, and for whatever reason, an eight-year-old kid wanted to learn how to knit, so we, we went to learn how to knit. If you've ever knitted anything, it is not an accidental activity. You just don't drop a pile of yarn and a scarf comes out. You know when you're knitting something together, it is a very deliberate act. It's one, you know every little snag, you know where things are good, where things are bad, you know where you had to tie the yarn together to start with a new yarn ball. You know every little good and bad thing about a project when you knit it. And that's the same sort of thing when God knits us together in the womb. He knows our predispositions to mental health. He knows that we have, um, you know, we might be a bubbly personality or we might be an introvert. He knows all of these things. And he knew all of these things about Jeremiah. And he called Jeremiah to be his prophet. Um, What's hilarious to me is knowing all of this, Jeremiah still says no. (laughs) Says, send someone else, God. I know you know all these things about me, but please send someone else. You know, we might laugh. Jeremiah is not the only one. We know Jonah ran away, got swallowed by a fish. Um, Someone who very closely mirrors the response to Jeremiah is Moses. Moses also said, I don't know how to speak, Lord. Send someone else or send, you know, send my brother Aaron with me. But what is amazing to me is this is a direct communication from God to Jeremiah, the master of the universe, king of kings, creator of the universe, omnipresent, omniscient, omni-everything, looking at Jeremiah saying, I know you, and Jeremiah still had the audacity to say no. When do we say no? Probably a lot. So as we read through the rest of chapter 1, we talk about, it talks about the disaster from the north. Um, as, we, as we read through chapter, the rest of the chapters, we realize that um, God is going to send Babylon to capture and besiege uh, Jerusalem and Israel. They're going to take their people into exile. Um, it, the Israelites really don't like this. They're okay with being besieged and conquered and taken into exile, but not to the Babylons. That's like, you know, that's the equivalent of they just didn't view them on the same plane or the same level. So to be besieged and taken into exile by the Babylonians was just beneath the Israelites. It's like, you know, as Ohio State fans, it's beneath us to lose to Michigan. So hopefully that doesn't happen again on the 26th. But what is, what is indicative of the rest of the book is when you read what Jeremiah's words will do. It says, we're going to uproot and tear down, destroy and demolish. But there is a little, just a glimmer of hope where it says, build, to build and plant. It shows us that Jeremiah's prophecy and ministry is not going to be one that is going to be well-received or well-liked. And as we, as we go through chapters 2 through 52, we start to understand what Israel's crimes against God really are. Um, they are accused of apostasy, and apostasy really is just the rejection of God. Um, while they would come to temple, they would do their thing, they would go through the motions in temple, they were also, on the other days of the week, worshiping other gods and doing things that were directly uh, contradictory to the covenant in which they found themselves. Um, Israel is also accused of social injustice, where they would um, not, care, not care for, exploit, and take advantage of the weakest of society, the, the widows, um, the children. Um, they even engaged in the Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. Now, all of this is in direct um, 
contradictory language to what the covenant is that they're under at the time. Um, what I find most interesting in these, the bulk of the book is the language that God uses to describe his hurt and his pain. Um, he likens what Israel is doing to adultery and prostitution. Um, it's, not, it's not wording of an angry father. It's not wording of a hurt friend. It's, it's wording that shows how hurt God is on a fundamental level. Um, if you've ever you know, been in a marriage and your spouse hurts you, um, or if they've cheated on you or done anything, um, just the pain that that causes, it really hurts you in a different way than just being disappointed or hurting someone. So God is trying to convey through Jeremiah to his fellow countrymen the level of betrayal and distrust that they have committed against God. And it's, it's really hard to read. When a new king ascends to the, or ascends to the throne in Babylon, uh, king, ne king Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah announces that the Babylonian army is coming to take them into exile for 70 years. And ultimately, that's what happens. Ultimately, they are besieged, and they are taken into exile. Um, but there are messages of hope in Jeremiah for Israel. Uh, once again, chapters 30 through 33, uh, basically, God is telling them that their sin is not going to get the last word. There is hope for redemption and uh, restoration, um, not only of lands, like physical things. We're going to restore your land. We're going to restore your physical kingdom. But ultimately, we're going to be able to restore our relationship. The what you have committed against me is not unfor unforgivable. We can get through it, but you, you have, there's, there are penalties for what you've done to me. So, as I said, Babylon carries Israel off into exile for 70 years. Um, as I've mentioned, there are, it's, it's a tough read. There's, just, there's a lot in here. But I would encourage you to take some time, read through Jeremiah, because I do feel that there are practical applications that we can, that we can glean for people who struggle with mental health and some things that we can put into our lives that will, that will help us. So the first of all, uh, routine. Um, you might be asking, well, where does it talk about Jeremiah's routine? Um, let's, let's just jump into the word here. So we're going to go to Jeremiah 20. Verses 1 through 4. And keep an open mind. When the priest Pashur, son of Emmer, the chief officer of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day when Pashur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but Magor Masab, basically not a good name, but for this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all of your friends. Um, with your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will hand all Judah over to the kingdom of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put, uh, put them to the sword. Okay. Jeremiah 26, 7 through 9. So the priests and prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto the, all the people that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him saying, 
That's King James. Never mind. Give me one second. We're going to reread that. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. Um, but as soon as Jeremiah had finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name and that Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and his city will be desolated, desolate and deserted? And the people crowded around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Uh, one more here, 38, 3 through, th- 3 through 6. And this is what the Lord says, the city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Then the official said to the king, this man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are, le- who are left in the city as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He said, he is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him in a cistern of Melchijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down in the mud. So none of this speaks to a... Uh, routine for Jeremiah because he had no time for a routine. He was getting thrown in prison, thrown in a pit, jailed, placed in stocks, uh, and beaten. Uh, Routine is something that helps your brain cope with anxiety. Uh, I just challenge you to start with like one small thing. For me, it was just setting alarm in the mornings, making sure that you're getting up at a regular time, Uh, even on the weekends. You need to start training your brain to know what is coming because when your brain doesn't know what's coming, that's when your thoughts tend to get out of control and you don't have the ability to um, deal with anxious thoughts or deal with uh, depressive episodes. Another thing, exercise regularly. Um, Some of the same physiological responses that your body experiences when you're exercising are the same things that you experience when you're dealing with anxiety. Um, Hard to breathe, elevated heart rate, potentially sweating. Uh, What you wanna do is train your brain that these things are okay. It's not always a bad thing when you experience this. Uh, For me, I used to deal with like tightening in my throat and those sorts of things. But I was able to train my brain that just because I'm experiencing these things doesn't mean I'm in any sort of danger and I was able to to work through them. A couple others, keep a regular sleep pattern. Go to sleep, wake up at the same time. Um, Also, look at your diet. Um, One activity or one um, method that I have garnered through uh, counseling is confronting doubt with truth. I really struggle with uh, persistent, intrusive thoughts that I can't really get out of my head. And what I've learned is it's okay to have those thoughts, but you just need to be able to confront doubt with truth. Um, Let's read uh, chapter 15. Fifteen through, you know what, we're going to cut it here. We're going to start at uh, 19. So chapter 15, there's this interaction between God. God and Jeremiah are having a discussion. Um, Jeremiah seems very, very down, and God is giving his responses. It's not always positive responses, but Jeremiah and God are having conversations. Um, Starting at verse 19, it says... Therefore, this is what the Lord says, if you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. 
If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to these people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the cruel. Um, what really God is saying here is, you know, I understand that you're dealing with a lot right now and you are having these negative thoughts, but you need to turn away from them. Um, what you need to do is you need to understand that you can have these thoughts, but ultimately they can't, you can't let them control you. You have to confront doubt with truth. Um, if you're struggling saying, I'm not good enough, well, God created you, therefore you are good enough. If you struggle with, um, you know, if you're younger and you struggle, I'm not smart enough. Well, maybe, you know, maybe what you're studying in school is, is not something that, you know, ultimately, you know, you want to study, but, you know, God puts you in that situation. Uh, you might be thinking, I'm not strong enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. But ultimately, you have God behind you. And with God behind you, you are good enough, strong enough for everything. Uh, a ne another practical application I have here is meaningful, accountable relationships. I'm going to turn to chapter 12. Put your finger there, and we're also going to read 16, 1 through 4. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to me, you must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place, for this is what the Lord says about the sons and daughters born in this land and about the women who are their mothers and the men who are their fathers. They will die of deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will like, be like refuse laying on the ground. They will perish by the sword and famine, and their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Basically, God is telling Jeremiah here he's not going to marry. He's not going to have children. He's not going to have any sort of lineage beyond his earthly ministry, um, which, is, which is tough because you know, when we think about having a spouse, it really is one of our most uh, close relationships that we have. Um, also, we're going to read uh, chapter 12, uh, 1 through 14, um, another chapter where God and Jeremiah are having um, what I would consider an accountable relationship. Um, Jeremiah's complaint, chapter 12, you are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and, you have and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, O Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about me. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in, the, in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. This is God's answer. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Your brothers, your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they, though they speak well of you. I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of their enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. 
Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field, and they will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. It will become a wasteland parched and desolate before me. The whole land will be laid waste because there is no one who cares. Over all the barren heights in the desert, destroys will swarm, for the sword of the Lord will devour from one end of the land to the other. No one will be safe. They will sow wheat but reap thorns. They will wear themselves out but gain nothing. So bear the shame of your harvest because of the Lord's fierce anger. This is what the Lord says. As for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance, I gave my people Israel. I will uproot them from their lands, and I will uproot the house of Judah from among them. Um, the, the key verse here is chapter 5 and God's answer, where it says, If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What God is telling Jeremiah here is what you've experienced to this point is just your training ground. It's, it's easy what you've dealt with so far. What I need you to do is I need you to bow up. I've got to get you ready for what is actually coming. This is chapter 12. We have 40 more chapters of negativity coming to Jeremiah. What, what this represents to me is God has a meaningful and accountable relationship with Jeremiah. It's not just him saying, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. God is telling Jeremiah, it is going to be okay, but I will be there with you every step of the way. I will give you the strength if you rely on me. So what does that mean in our life? Um, if you're struggling, what I really encourage you to do is find someone that can give you a meaningful, accountable relationship. It can be a friend, it can be a family member, it can be a spouse. It can also be a professional counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, find someone who gives you not only an ear to listen, but also someone who gives you accountability back because that is the most important part of this sort of relationship. So what are some cues to look at if you're wondering if you have a sort of meaningful and accountable relationship? If the person that you think is giving you that, look at their body language. Are they engaging with you? Are they looking you in the eyes? Are they on their phone? Are they in actively engaged in an active participant in your conversation? Also, when you look at verbal cues, are they saying, oh, man, that's crazy. Whew. Can't believe you're dealing with that. I'm sorry about that. If you're seeing these sorts of things, that is not the right person. They are not giving you what you need in an accountable relationship. So I would encourage you, if you have wondered if you need to find someone else, professionally, otherwise, um, do that. It's really important to have someone that you can be accountable to and be able to, once again, not only have an ear to listen to, but someone who gives you feedback and helps you through your situations. The last practical application I have is being forward-looking. Um, we're going to go to the, the last chapter of the book, chapter 52, and there's this weird little vignette at the end of the book, chapter, uh, verses 31 through 34. So Jehoiachin also, know, also goes by a couple other names, um, uh, Coniah and Jeconiah, who we've talked about already, uh, is released from prison. So in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and the year evil Murdoch, Murdoch became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and freed him from prison on the, 12th, on the 25th day of the 12th month. 
He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes for the rest of his life, ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived till the day of his death. Makes sense, right? No, you, have to, you need to understand the context of why this is important. It's forward-looking. Once again, Jeremiah lived 600 years before Jesus. And if we understand who Jehoiachin is, we can understand why it's important. Um, before we go to the next text, there's a reference in here. Jeconiah receives a curse from God that he won't be prosperous, he won't have descendants, none of his descendants will rise to the throne of David, yet we see him still prospering. He's still the king while they're in exile, but he's still the king. So, so what gives here? Well, it's important that we understand the context of why Jehoiachin, Jeconiah, Coniah is important. So let's turn to the New Testament, Matthew, 12, or Matthew 1, verses 12 through 16. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shiltiel. Shiltiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiud. Abiud fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Eliud. Eliud fathered Eliezer. Eliezer fathered Maton. Maton fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus who is called the Christ. Like, man, that's cool. Like, some random little four-verse vignette in the Old Testament gives us hope that we can be looking towards Jesus at all times. The Bible promises us that there is no despair without light. There is no darkness without light, no despair without hope, no pain without relief. Um... Ultimately, though, that doesn't mean we're going to get that relief in this world. Um, it's kind of clear that when you read through some other texts and understand um, what the rest of Jeremiah's life looked like, you know, he didn't get the happy ending. He didn't get the Enoch treatment or the Elijah treatment. He just didn't ascend to heaven and, and not have to deal with an earthly death. Um, there are strong indications that he was take again into exile into Egypt, uh, continued to prophesy God's word, and ultimately his, uh, his life was cut short by his fellow countrymen in Egypt because they, didn't, they still didn't like what Jeremiah had to say. I guess at this time, you know, that's, those are really the practical applications I have, and I would ask maybe the worship team and the, um, the prayer team to come up. But I, I think the message that I wanted to leave here is, you know, if you suffer with anxiety, I, I see you, I, I hear you. If you suffer with depression, I hear you and I, and I see you. If you suffer from OCD or bi bipolar depression or schizophrenia or anything, I see you and, and I love you. But most of all, God sees you and loves you and has a purpose for you. 